time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Watch Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS. 
say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill, and we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, my guest this hour is the uh, CEO of Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, Robert Sheehan. He joins me by phone. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. Um, you know, I was going to say in the introduction that World Mental Health Day was Saturday, October 10th, but every day really should be Mental Health Day, shouldn't it? I like the way you're thinking, Tom. It really is. In fact, there's a, we're part of a number of different groups. NAMI at the U.S. level, the federal level, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness, came out with an editorial a couple days ago saying, and this election, actually almost every election, there's a mental health component to everything you vote on. And I think, I think they're right. Well, and, and we've certainly uh, been really uh, um, sort of attacked by this uh, pandemic in a way that has a lot of people dealing with anxiety in ways that weren't the norm a year ago. You know, it's really true. It's, there's been actually a perfect storm. If you don't mind if I could just elaborate that on a bit. Uh, please. Mind if I talk about um, there's a number of factors that are causing that. Um, one is, you know, the pandemic has three or four different facets that are raising not only anxiety, but depression. The isolation that comes from that. You know, if you're used to seeing your friends and hugging them, and in fact, a lot of folks are canceling their Thanksgiving and Christmas plans. And I, I just wrote some friends that canceled theirs, and I said, someday we'll all be able to hug and kiss and shake hands. Um, and, I, and so that lack of human contact really does aid to, to that. I mean, secondly, there's lack of isolation for some people. If you're used to going to work or, and your kids are going to school and now everybody's in the household, that lack of isolation is, can be anxiety-producing. That's not what you'd planned on. You're to have a, have a kindergarten, and a fourth grader, and a seventh grader all trying to study while you're trying to do, go to work. That's, you know, we didn't sign on for that. Uh, you know, third is, and people forget this, I mean, there's a real fear, even though a lot of us maybe don't want to think about it, of a highly contagious, deadly illness. I mean, you know, and even the aftermath. I've heard, if you read some of the research now that talks about, um, even if you don't die from COVID, the long-term neurological and um, health effects are real. And so people are concerned about that. And then on top of it, you have economic malaise, right? A lot of people, 40% of Michiganders lost income. Either they lost their jobs entirely, or they had their wages or hours cut. And then last, um, there's a racial unrest feeling, right? So you have that combination of things. And I, I think the reason it's especially tough for anxiety and depression is that, you know, if, if something happens in your life that someone dies, so it's an intimate thing, you know what causes that anxiety or, or depression. This is so ubiquitous. You know, it's almost like in the air, all those five factors I mentioned, that people sometimes don't put their finger on it and say, oh, that's why I'm snapping at my wife, or that's why I'm 
feeling depressed or that's why I'm drinking more or, you know, et cetera. It's, it's been a, a tough, what, seven or eight months now, Tom. Yeah, I know. It. I, in fact, I uh, heard somebody um, use the phrase, and, and I've uh, kind of taken it over, um, as uh, being 2020 Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use that too. I, it's it's because it it what we thought was going to be a matter of weeks, possibly months, has turned into a much longer ordeal. And I was um, a little disappointed to hear uh, Anthony Fauci this week say that he thinks these spikes in. Uh, COVID cases around the country that we keep hearing about on the news is a resurgence of the first wave and not an actual second wave. I know, I know. I, I felt the same same way. I'm. What well, you said is true. We all got ready for a couple of weeks of this, right, back in March or April. And, and what happened is when you get ready for a couple of weeks of it, and then those weeks span to months and maybe now a year or, or more, your whole coping mechanism has to change, but it's hard to change, you know? I mean, it, I always joke. If someone says, would you mind holding this glass of water for me? I'm going I'm to go get a cup of coffee. And they don't come back for a year. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was holding the cup for a couple of minutes. Where are you? And that's, I think, now people are starting to say, oh, boy, if I'm going to buckle in for this for long term, what does that mean? Yeah. It, it is It is really tough. I, I tried to psych myself up a little bit uh mentally by taking a look at the um, Spanish flu pandemic yeah. in yeah. 1918 mm-hmm. and I in in looking at that and seeing a lot of the same things being put in place you know to address it yeah. you know the, the various yeah. quarantines and and closing down of public facilities and so on but that lasted two or three years I know. I well, you know, it's funny and, you'd say that because I. I'm oh, sorry. I'm go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say. So I kind of psyched myself up and you know said, "Now wait a minute. Something like this. This is a big deal. This is this is like that. You know, from a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, and maybe we better strap in for the long haul." You you said it well. It's funny. I wasn't as smart as you fast enough. I um because I heard about that right the uh, flu in nineteen. 19- 18 or so i said yeah yeah that was back then right Healthcare wasn't as advanced and research wasn't advanced and you know and then you realize fighting a virus and coming up with a, a vaccine is no faster now it, it's a very difficult um risk um prone system you know i mean there's no way around it and, and so i've had to kind of have a talking to myself to realize whatever dynamics happened in that era are still happening now and there's no i mean it's not that we're um, slowing in our, it's as fast as you can develop a vaccine. The number of research search subjects you have to have is huge. And so I, I agree with you, Tom. We just got to get ready for that. Yeah, there was, uh, I don't have it anymore, but I remember pulling uh, and, and talking about a uh, clip from a newspaper uh, during the, the pandemic with a list of the steps that were being taken and they talked about closing schools and closing uh, uh, meeting halls and these other places where people would gather socially and um, and, and it, even right down to uh, no gathering in groups of more than 10 and it, it was 
Is yeah. that right, Tom? It, it, yeah, it, it, there was a there was a whole placard, and it was all the same stuff we're doing now. Isn't this something? Wow, wow. You know, it's funny you'd say that because you really <laughs> do get a sense of um, those are the standards. I guess you know those are good <laughs> public health standards that haven't changed in a hundred years, and they're still. I just think we're not used to this. I mean, I, I think we're used to catastrophes, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, economic downturn, war, but we're not used to this, you know, invisible kind of enemy, and that's what we're facing. Yeah. Well, and one that's so pervasive. And some, exactly. You know, and, with a tornado or a hurricane, yeah. blam, yeah. it blows up a bunch of stuff, and yes, sometimes people are killed, and it's a tragedy, but it's over with in a matter of minutes or hours, and then the cleanup begins. And we can kind of grapple with that. But this, this uncertainty, and that's the word I keep hearing, is, uh, is really troubling for people, I think. Well, I think that's right. Um, you know, and the uncertainty, you know, anxiety and depression can be triggered by certainty of a bad thing. But if you have this uncertainty of a bad thing, it's, um, you, you never know when it's going to jump out of the dark. I think, you know, also the people, we compare this with the SARS um, scare a couple of years ago. The, the difference, and I think people are starting to realize this, uh, for a person with SARS to give it to somebody else, they were really symptomatic. I mean, they knew they had SARS. So you knew to stay away so they, we could control it. The fact there's such a um, contagion period when you're asymptomatic prior to showing symptoms means anybody you look at could say, you, you could have it, you could have it, and I can't tell. I think that provides an uncertainty that we've never seen before. It's, it's similar, I'm not kidding, it's similar to a bad zombie movie, right, where, uh-oh, any one of these people could be a COVID-19 <laughs> carrier. It really is, and when you see people yeah. out, you know, at stores and, and different places wearing masks, it, you know, it, it's almost like a, a Japanese disaster movie. Yes, it is. Well, it's funny you say that. So early on, April, May or so, when I go to the grocery store, initially no one had masks, and everybody had masks. And I would, I would tell my wife, it's like shopping in a, in a science fiction movie. You know, all there shopping, and everybody has masks on. And there's glass panels everywhere. And you think, this can't be real. This isn't the world that I was in just a few weeks ago. But, but it is, yeah. Well, Bob, I've got a uh, break coming up here in about a minute, and um, okay. I'm wondering if you can stand by for about four minutes or so, and we'll uh, sure dig can. down. I want to talk about some of the things that you're experiencing at CMHA, specifically in the wake of uh, all of these challenges that people are facing, and uh, what some of the resources and so on are for people. So my guest is... is uh, Robert Sheehan, he is the CEO of Community Mental Health Association of Michigan. And we're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be back and uh, talk some more about mental health, COVID, and uh, anything else that comes up. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. 
you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Fabulous 60s, the marches, the pians, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artist who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel. Who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War. All for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff's airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, My guest this hour is the CEO of Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, 
Robert Sheehan, who uh, joins me by phone. Bob, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Of course, Tom. Thank you. Um, the We spent the last segment talking about coronavirus and how it has has created a lot of uncertainty and disrupted people's lives. There are people feeling anxiety who maybe never dealt with anxiety before or uh, or depression and and don't really understand what's happening to them. How do we how do we self-diagnose? That's a great point, Tom. So, so I always tell, tell people that always start with your natural supports. That's the term we use for friends and family, right? To start to talk to them about it. And I think what they'll find if they have the guts to say, you know, I'm feeling kind of, you know, worried or concerned or I can't sleep. I think they'll find um, echoes in the people that they're talking to. So if you lean over and t- talk to your kids or your neighbor or, or your spouse or partner, and you say, you know, this thing's got me shaken. I think you'll find them saying the same thing. That's always step one. In fact, for most people, that's what they need, just to know, I guess I'm not the only one feeling this way. In fact, there's this power of, that's why therapy works so well, of saying it out loud with men ruminating in your head. Once you say it to somebody else, or write it actually to somebody else, or write it to yourself, the power of that then to uh, restore your sense of um, normalcy is Pretty intense. I mean, people don't get it. People who aren't used to talking about their problems don't understand that until they do it. I've had hundreds of clients who will say, you know, it's just funny. I don't get it. You didn't do anything, but I'm just talking. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's step one, Tom, really. And I can go on to step three, four, and five, but I want to dwell there longer. I don't, people don't do that enough. You know, um, I think they're afraid it's going to sound like whining or like they're the weak one in the bunch or there's something wrong with them. All of those are fallacies that get in the way of sharing. Well, my late dad used to always tell me whenever there was something wrong to walk it off. <laughs> and yeah, I think, yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of us have that mindset that you know this this isn't anything serious. Uh, you know, you should just walk it off. Right, that it'll go away. And and you know that's the difference, though. I tell people between an acute problem and a chronic one. The acute one is you you can walk it off, right? If you get hit. If you're the batter and you get hit in the shoulder, your, your coach says, walk it off. Okay, because it's an acute pain. It, but if you have a chronic problem, you have diabetes, you don't walk off diabetes. You know, you, know, you don't. And, and you don't walk off anxiety and, and depression. You, you think, how am I going to get rid of this? And, and I, I tell people, don't even worry about labeling it as anxiety or depression. You may say, I'm cranky. I'm drinking more. I'm yelling more. I'm crying more. I'm sleeping more or I can't sleep. Just talk about that. Talk about the, 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 what we call the phenomena, the thing. And you'll be surprised. Some of these people, when they label it, they, they do get kind of concerned. Like, if I call it anxiety, someone will be concerned. Or my boss won't want to hear that if I'm depressed. You know, so don't use that word. If you're in an environment where that, those words work, use them. But um, use the words that work for you, you know, for the person having the feelings. I always recommend that. And then, you know, the, the next phase is uh, um, if, if that doesn't help, what what do people do next? Yeah, so I'm glad you said that. And, and the, to me, the parallel is physical health. If I had a rash and I bought some stuff off the counter to try to cure it, make it go away, and it didn't, I, I call a doctor. So that's what they need to do with the mental health thing, too. Not a doctor so much as a therapist. If, if somebody has insurance, um, either they've purchased themselves or their employer paid insurance, on the back of their insurance card, almost always on the back, you can find a behavioral health or a mental health uh, number. 
And what, when you call that, um, what you'll get is actually somebody can tell you who in the community, which therapists are taking that insurance card. Often, um, insurance companies will send you a list, either electronically or on paper, of all the therapists who are taking their insurance. So I, I recommend that. Um, and the reason that's a little bit different than primary care, whereas most um, primary care docs will have a contract with most insurance companies, that isn't true for mental health. And so it's good to find out your insurance company's list first. That's step one in, in that phase. The second one, though, is different than primary care. Um, that relationship with a therapist makes a difference in terms of your recovery. So, and that's different than, now, with physical health care, you know, a relationship's important. But if I see a doc who I think is a jerk and he or she treats me with a medication, then I'm good. It doesn't, I mean, their, their personality and their link with me is important, but probably not curative. In behavioral health, mental health, it is. And so um, we've had many folks that I've dealt with who said, well, I tried therapy once. Well, yeah, <laughs> but if that wasn't a connection, it wasn't therapy you didn't connect with. It was that therapist. So uh, I always tell people to therapist shop. Um, it, it sounds odd to say, but once you get the list from your insurance company, um, you can go on the website for um, psychology today. Uh, it sounds odd that that's a you know it's a popular magazine for psychology, but online they have the best set of resources in every community. You can literally go in and put you know here's my here's my town, um, and what will show up is all the therapists who are listed, and almost everyone is listed in private practice, and you can see a list of what what's their expertise, what are they good at. You'll see a statement of what they believe. It's really a like you would actually shop for anything online. It's really impressive. And then you can also call them and set it up and say, I want to get a sense of, of what you're like. I know that sounds maybe pickier than people are used to in healthcare, but in behavioral health, it's really important that when you, and so if that one doesn't work yet for the first session, you say, this ain't working. I'm going to try somebody else. I tell people, don't give up on therapy. Well, it's also, on that, on that Bob, therapy. it's also really difficult for people who were reluctant to take that step to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, I think, and, you know, I've been doing this for decades and I, I think I'm over, but just barely my own um, stigma about mental health. I've seen therapists a number of times and I, I at first was loath to talk about it, but now I talk about it all the time to get people used to it. I mean, men and women, adult men and women talk about health conditions that in the old days no one would talk about, right? I mean, all kinds of things that yeah. are inappropriate for, but they won't talk about the mental health needs. They won't say, yeah, I'm taking an antidepressant or I'm taking anti-anxiety meds or I saw a therapist and I urge them to, I urge them to. That really, once it becomes normalized, it becomes something that people then are willing to share. And and how do you, um, for people who have that stigma about mental health, how do you encourage them to take those steps to to actually seek out a therapist, and especially to therapist shop? Right, right. Well, I I really do. What I like about this Psychology Today website um, is. Um, you can shop in the amount of detail you have there is stunning. In fact, if you haven't ever looked into mental health care for yourself, just going through that is kind of cool. You might say, wow, this list shows if they deal with anxiety, depression, if they deal with marital issues, they deal with work issues, what's their, they deal with grief. You can see a list of that. You realize, huh, I hadn't thought about talking to somebody about grief or about what I'm feeling now is also triggering losses I had when I was younger. Um, you know, it's, so I think people should be... Um, I mean, it sounds funny, but because it's online, it feels a lot like shopping for um, a, a car or clothing or uh, equipment for your garage. Really, it feels just like that. And 
And then the hardest part is once you get done with that, though, taking the step to call that therapist and say, can I talk to you? Can, would it make sense for me to, can you tell me what you're like, et cetera? Um, but once they've done that once, um, it'll take the edge off. I just, it's sort of like, maybe this doesn't work for everybody, but it, for me, it's, um, I'm a seventh grade boy at a junior high dance, and I've got to ask that girl to dance. I need the guts to start to walk across that floor. Once I do it once, I can ask other girls to dance. But it's that first one. That, mean, that metaphor may not work for everybody, but um, everybody knows about some event where they were petrified to take that first time. Once they did it, they realized, wow, this isn't so bad. So I urge people to take that first step, often about a minor issue. Don't wait for your marriage to be breaking up or you, you can't go to work for a week. And you try to say, I just want to talk about it a little bit. Just, In fact, I, I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> the, the average number of sessions is six, but then anyone goes to a therapist, the average. But the most common is one. People find talking to the therapist the first time is relieving. So no one should feel they're you know, tying on to a long-term relationship. They might with the therapist, but just do it for one session. See how it goes. And then that's when people feel the edge is gone, Tom, and they can pursue it further. That's interesting. The... Um how do you know the difference between, or, or what is the difference between anxiety and depression? Well, there, it's, first of all, I should say it's hard to t- tell the difference. I've become pretty good at it over the years, but um, because they often feel alike, right? You're, you're kind of worried. You're not feeling you can get through the day. It's, it's that kind of stuff. One of the, there's a couple of telltale signs. Let me kind of talk about it in layperson's language. Um, anxiety is often... Um, you can kind of see it when you find yourself going back to the same troubling thought over and over again. I don't want to face that employee, my coworker at work. I don't want to raise this issue with my spouse again. I don't. I wonder how my kids doing with this um, issue, and how my grandkids are doing. I wonder how the election is going to come, and you can't get your mind to get off it. It's, it's that r- rumination is, is what we call it. You know, it's um, it's a continual. You yeah. can't stop it. And that's anxiety. Now, sometimes the two are linked, but depression is much more of a, I don't see a future here. I don't see a way out of this thing. And it's more of a dull malaise of, um, I, I don't have the energy I used to have. I don't feel like cleaning up the garage anymore. I'm not going to, there's no, nobody here to make, make dinner for. I'm not going to make dinner anymore. You can see the difference there is one of lack of interest. Either sleeping a lot or not sleeping much. Um, those are signs of, of depression. Now, not sleeping much can also be a sign of anxiety, but if it's not sleeping much because those same troubling thoughts are coming forward, then that's anxiety. If it's not sleeping much because I don't, I don't know why, that tends to be, be depression. So that's the sort of rule of thumb I use. But people shouldn't self-diagnose. Here's the advantage. When primary care docs prescribe medications, and that's where most folks get their uh, psychiatric medications from their primary care docs, they usually supply appropriately low doses of drugs that are both anti-anxiety and antidepressants. That's a good thing. So you don't have to pre-diagnose. I'm feeling I can't get these thoughts out of my head or I can't sleep or I'm sleeping too much or I don't, I've lost energy. Um, doctors can then, your primary care doc, without having to see a psychiatrist, can prescribe a drug that will take care of both. Now, uh, the, um, the organization that you head up, uh, Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, has more than 350,000 individuals around the state in 83 counties? Yep. Yep. We represent the public mental health system, which is um, the sort of the backbone of the mental health system in Michigan, especially for folks on Medicaid and without insurance. Um, We also see folks with insurance, but primarily 
it's folks on Medicaid and or who aren't insured. But right, 350,000 clients a year. Um, everything from talk psychotherapy to psychiatry to um, all the way up to inpatient psychiatric care, being in a hospital, a psychiatric hospital or ward or residential care, um, jobs programs, transportation. So a whole range of services, Tom. And, and what are uh, certified community behavioral health clinics? So it's something new. See, you must be reading really advanced stuff, Tom, because that's something new. Um, in the last two or three years, Michigan U.S. Senator Stabenow and her partner Roy Blunt out of Missouri sponsored a bill called the Excellence in Mental Health Act. That act funded um, certified community behavioral health centers. Actually, Senator Stabenow um, uh, used the Michigan model of, of mental health to build that. And so it's nine essential services that are offered by those centers across the country. It's only in um, eight states now, and Michigan and Kentucky just got added. Um, so it's up to 10, 10 states. But Michigan, for the last two years, has been doing a pilot where um, 18 sites in Michigan got special federal financing to be, I'm going to use the acronym for the Certified Community Behavioral Health Center, it's CCBHC, to be CCBHC. And so they serve anyone regardless of, of whether they have insurance or if they have insurance, and they serve. The nine essential services are far beyond what typical commercial insurance buys. So if I use my employer's health insurance card and I go to my physician or a therapist, I'll get either talk therapy or medication. If you go to a CCBHC, you can get everything from what's called peer supports, meaning people who maybe are struggling with the same issues I am can come alongside me and talk, and it's kind of peer support, which is helpful. Um, transportation support, uh, 24-7 crisis work, um, connect me with a primary care doc and vice versa. So if I'm seeing a primary care doc, I'm also seeing a therapist, that CCBHC will make sure the two are, connect are talking to each other. Um, the CCBHCs are providers um, of a wide range of services. They don't tend to provide primary care, meaning physical health care. Some do, but they're often linked, not often, they're always linked closely to, to one. So they're a, really a cutting edge um, provider network Michigan just got deemed as one of the new pilot states, and so we're, we're working with the state of Michigan to build that out and finance it. So you will see the CCBHCs popping up in communities ac across the state. It may take several years um, because, you know, the state budget's pretty tight right now, and it takes state money to match federal money to fund these. But as the state budget improves, as the economy picks up, we will see more and more of these sites popping up. Um, why the phrase behavioral health and not mental health? That seems clunky to me. You know, to be frank, our association doesn't like the term. I can tell you why. It, it got coined about 10 years ago, and a lot of organizations changed their name to that. We did not. And let me tell you why. Behavioral health actually means mental health treatment, like for psychiatric conditions, and substance use disorders. The reason I don't like the term, and a lot of advocates and clients don't, and our association doesn't, Behavioral health sounds like something I can change my behavior. Just change your behavior, right? And it goes away. That's what it sounds like yeah. to a lot of people. And that's not, I mean, so I don't like the term. That's why we've continued to use the term mental health. Um, and mental health means, in, in the broadest terms, psychiatric conditions like bipolar and depression and anxiety and schizophrenia. It also means substance use disorders. But it also means intellectual and developmental disabilities, what we used to call mental retardation, um, autism, cerebral palsy. So the word mental health means, and it's also to the layperson, it makes a lot more sense. You know, it's a mental health need. It's how I think. It's how I feel. It's how I process information. Yes. Where behavioral sounds like, well, in fact, somebody might say, it's not my behavior I'm worried about. 
It's the way I feel and think. So I, I and you know how this is. Words become sexy for a while and they stop time. If I had to put money on it, I'd say in 10 years, we won't be using the word behavioral health anymore. It'll be some other term. And, and how um, closely connected is uh, CMHA connected with uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services? Very closely. We work with them as a partner on hundreds of projects. <clears throat> we um, are working with them closely to develop this certified community behavioral health center. We review their Medicaid policies, which they, they fund a lot of their service with Medicaid. We review their work and give them guidance. Um, sometimes, by the way, they don't want our guidance, and I can understand that because <laughs> we're, we're an association of the folks in the, in the communities, but we're also a, an advocacy group. And so our, our job is to applaud them when we think they're doing good work and not to applaud them when they're not. But it's been a great partnership. And they, by the way, don't applaud everything we do. You know, we are we just have different roles. Our job is to represent the providers and payers that are in the communities on the ground, and their job is to set state policy and ensure quality, and I think we work really well together. I should tell you, um, I don't mean to do advertisements for them, but they've been poorly staffed for about two two decades. I don't know how they get the work done they have, um, because it's everything from you know schizophrenia to depression to teenage drug use to end-of-life decisions to Alzheimer's to mental uh, health conditions related to law enforcement, those are all in their portfolio. And they have a far smaller staff than they've ever had. So we, we do a lot of work almost as an adjunct staff to them, and they, they've been really good at accepting that. So our, our relationship is very, very tight. And, and what, about, um, what about substance abuse and uh, the opioid crisis, which has been kind of overshadowed by the pandemic? Oh, yeah, it's funny. We do a weekly newsletter, uh, Tom, called The Weekly Update. In fact, I just got finished writing my, my part of it. An article we put in it this week says just that, that the opioid pandemic is still roaring, and yet we've stopped. You know, I guess, you know, popular media and most of us can only stand one big crisis at a time. So COVID is the thing. But when you pull the COVID skin back, you realize, oh, yeah, the opioid pandemic is continuing. Um, it's still there. Um, now, the state and the feds have done a great job of financing opioid prevention, opioid abuse prevention work, and treatment work. Um, more money I've seen in the opioid treatment world than I've ever seen in my, in my career. It's great to see. I think folks are becoming aware of it. I think prescribing patterns by doctors are changing. I, I know they are. In some cases, too much, by the way. If, and you'll hear lots of patients complain they can't get opioids to treat pain when the pain's acute. So, because doctors are skittish, that I think there was a sense that some doctors overprescribe and they don't want to be caught there again. It's important we don't underprescribe either. So, I think doctors are getting pretty good, and other prescribers at hitting the the target. Um, I think people are also realizing that when you underprescribe opioids and someone's addicted, they go to heroin and fentanyl, you know, on the street, and those things are deadly. People don't die of oxycodone. I mean, they might they take a, but they tend to die of heroin and um, spiked with um, fentanyl and, and other synthetic narcotics. So um, it, it's still there, and we have to fight that. Um, and one of the downsides, one of the other downsides of COVID, of which there are hundreds, we're seeing opioid use going up, and we're seeing alcohol use go up. Some great research recently, I say great only because it was eye-opening, showed a direct link of opioid use and economic loss. So, in fact, if you do a, what they call a heat map of where opioid abuse is high, it's almost always where there's economic depression, a loss of jobs or prolonged chronic unemployment is where, because hopelessness begets opioid use. It also begets 
alcohol abuse, and we're seeing a rise in both. Bob, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the uh, the the website where you could shop therapists, but what yep. are some resources that people can look to if they suspect they're suffering or someone that they know is suffering? Sure. I always recommend they initially start with their local community mental health center. Um, and if they, and they can get that for a couple of ways and go to our website, which is <clears throat> www.cmham.org, which is community mental health association of Michigan, cmham.org and go to membership. And on that, they'll see all the CMHs across the state and they can call the local CMH and just talk through this issue. They might be saying my, my son's pretty depressed or I need to talk to somebody about this. They all run 24 seven crisis line. Secondly, um, if they can't find that number during the day, eight to five, they can call two one one in every community. Now two one one is not a crisis line, but they can direct them to the local CMA. So if they call two one one, they couldn't remember the website I gave them, just call two one one and say, can I talk to my local community mental health? And they'll connect them with it. Um, there's also a crisis text line, which is sort of new. Uh, Tom, which I, because some people are more comfortable on text than they are on calling. So they, um, they want to, the number they're going to dial in, in the text number is uh, 741741. And when they text that, what they want to write to that text number is the word restore. If they write restore to that 741741, it's a, it's a crisis text line. And somebody will write back saying, what do you want to talk about? Some people really, I'm not kidding, by texting, they can get it off their chest. And it, it actually begins that, um, it takes the edge off that initial outreach, and they tend to be more likely than to call somebody and talk. I recommend that. And then last of all, there's a national suicide hotline. If they can't remember anything else that we told them, the national suicide hotline, they, they can call and they'll be directed back to a Michigan crisis center. Um, it's 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Now, the reason I did them in that order, I recommend people always start with their local CMH or their local therapist or, or doctor. But the CMH's staff are trained. Sorry, community mental health centers are trained on all these mental health conditions, and I recommend. The reason the advantage of starting there, too, is they're local. They can say, well, come on in and talk or bring your son or daughter in or your wife or your husband or partner in, um, as opposed to a national line, which can't say, come on in. But those are the resources that I would recommend to people, Tom. Well, Bob, thank you so much for spending this time uh, with me today. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Same to you, Tom. I appreciate your interest in this topic. Thank you. Take care. That was uh, Robert Sheehan. He is the uh, CEO of Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, talking about COVID, mental health, and more. Um and we've got a short break coming up. Uh, if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. 
The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy 
If your name this is Sumarillo. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'm seven years old, standing up in my crib. I kept falling out of the crib. I really, you know, I mean, they gave me a bed, but I kept falling out of it. And uh, I'm staying up there. My parents are going out, see, and they're just walking back and forth. We live in an apartment uh, building. There's only one bathroom, and there's my bedroom, then my parents' bedroom, and they have to pass by my bedroom in order to get to the bathroom. And if the door's open, I can see them. And I know they're going out because they keep bumping into each other, you know. <laughs> boom, 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 get out of the way. Boom, where's my sock? I don't wear them, you know. So, uh, this is before babysitters, when parents did not believe in babysitters at all. You know, the philosophy was, what? Let some stranger look after my kid? I'd just as soon leave him home by himself. <laughs> so, uh, I'm staying up here. I got my sleepers on. I wore sleepers till I was 12. I love sleepers because I used to put mashed potatoes in the bottom of my sleepers and make my mother feel them. Mom, Phil's a dead rat. She'd faint. <laughs> my mom would faint for anything, man. I used to get hit in the head with a rock and cover up the blood. She couldn't stand blood for nothing, man. I'd go home, stand right behind her. She's cooking. Mom, look, blood. <laughs> she'd faint. I'm standing up in the crib and they both come up, you know. And now, the whole thing to them is that they have to scare me to make me stay in the bed, see. They tell you some kind of a lie. That's what the parents used to do. There's a green monster out the door. If you get out of that bed, they'll, he'll eat you right up, you know. So, I'm a con man. I really am. I'm a, I'm, I'm a good con man. Boy, I never went to school if I didn't want to. My whole thing was so beautiful. My mother used to come in, boom, open the door, and, uh, and I'd be in the bed, you know. And she'd say, aren't you going to school? And I'd say, mother, is that you? Just bring your face here so I can, I can touch it before I leave, you know. Never went to school one day. And always got out at 3.30 to play. Used to go up to her. 3.30. A miracle happened! I'm well! You're not well, get back in the bed. Honest to goodness, Mom! A little angel came right up on my bed, hit me with a wand, twang, said, go out and play. And she had to believe the angel. I knew that. So anyway, I'm standing in my crib. And I said, now, don't get out of the, the, the crib, please. See, my, my father, I love my father's uh, approach. It was basic. Stay in the bed. That's all, you know. Stay in the bed, see. I knew how to answer him. I will. And it, well, that was it. You know, he'd go, and then I'd jump out of the crib, you know. <laughs> Papa's beautiful, but mothers, they give you a half hour. Stay in the crib because your life is important to this and that. Oh, yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> but my old man would just come up, stay in the bed. Right, Dad. And he'd leave, he said his piece, you know. So now my mother comes in. I don't get out of the crib. Yes, mother, I'm tired anyway. I, I'm going to sleep. The Sandman's beating me to death. 
And I'm so tired. Pardon me for not seeing you to the door, but I'm just tired. I'm telling you right now, don't get out of that crib. Now, the last time you got out of the crib, you went in and listened to that, that radio and heard that awful Lights Out program, and it scared you so bad that you smeared jello all over the kitchen floor to make the monster slip if he came at you. And your father went into the kitchen to get a drink of water, slipped and hurt himself. Now, to make sure you don't, you don't get out of this crib, we've placed over a hundred black poisonous snakes around your crib. And if you so much as put a toe out there, they're gonna bite you, you're gonna swell up and be dead until morning. I don't see no snakes, they're invisible. And she left, boom. Boy, I'm telling you right now, I'm so sick of this place, I'm gonna run away from home. They're always putting black snakes. Snakes! You get out of here! This is not your room, this is my room, and you just get out of here. I don't care who sent you in here, this is my room. I didn't ask you to come in here, nasty snakes. Snakes, do you hear me talking to you? Huh? Snakes? I gotta go to the bathroom. Come on, have a heart on a guy, will you? Are you out there? Listen, snakes. Now, now don't you bite, don't you bite me. I'm gonna put, put my toe out there. Don't bite it, just give it a little snaky lick. Come on. Okay, listen, you can bite it just a little bit, but, but don't put none of your juice in it. Nothing. Well, go ahead, I bet you're not even out there. Go and bite it, suckers! Yeah, I know you wasn't out there. Lie to me, boy. I'm going to listen to the radio. We had a Philco radio. It was about six feet tall. Had 287 knobs on it, of which only two worked. Off on volume and the station selector. The extra knobs were if you'd lose one, you could replace them right away. You don't have to go to the store. And I love to get scared to death. Anything that has scared me to death, I loved it. I loved Frankenstein, a wolfman, and a mummy so much. I used to sit right up front, and then they would come at me, and I would squish myself under, into the orchestra pit. I hid all over the place. I'm telling you. I had pictures of them all over my house, never looked at them. Was scared of them. There were three programs that were scary. One was suspense. That wasn't too scary. That was suspenseful. Then there was Inner, uh, inner Sanctum, where the guy played the organ. Do, do. And then he would come in, good evening, and he was so happy to scare you to death. And he opened that door, and then he told you a weird story about his uncle Harry who had lost his hip bone or something like that. Oh, man. But what really scared me was when he closed the door. At the end, of, I knew somebody was in the house then, and I started smearing that jello. No monster gonna get near me with that jello on the floor. I've tripped up many a monster with that jello on the floor. Yes, sirree, Bob. And now, I got my radio, I turn it on. You gotta wait maybe, maybe eight days. It'll heat up, you know, eight days. There's good news. Good evening.
that's the guy. Go ahead, scare me to death. I'm ready. I'm ready. Scare me, man. Come on now. And welcome to Lights Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, scare me. I was dumb enough to do whatever the guy said to do on the radio. Turn your lights out. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. They're out, they're out. Go on, scare me to death, I'm ready. Tonight's episode is about a chicken heart. A chicken heart that ate up New York City. Yeah, go chicken heart, go. Go get them, eat them up chicken heart. Scare me to death, I'm, re I'm ready, I'm ready. chicken heart was kept alive in a laboratory in a vat. Special solution. Half blood, half sodium salicylate. One day, a careless janitor knocked the vat over. He went to get a rag to clean it up. The chicken heart grew. Six foot, five inches. And in search of human blood. The janitor came back, opened the door. The heart ate him up. What? Go get him, chicken heart. Go get him. Go get him. moved out into the hallway, rang for the elevator, fourth floor, ah! go get him chicken heart, go get him, you will, moved out into the street, ate up all the cabs, beep beep, the Empire State Building, ate up the Jersey Turnpike. It's in your home state. It's outside of your door. And it's going to eat you up. Oh, I got my jello star smearing it all over the floor. Get out of here, chicken heart! I set the sofa on fire. You won't come near smoking fire and jello. My father came in the house and what? What the hell's the sofa doing on fire? Come in the house, the chicken heart's gonna eat you up. Hurry up, okay. Zip. What chicken heart are you talking about? Do it on the radio. Tell you the idiot, turn it off. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.